0: This is Matt Freitas, and you're listening to the Late Night History Podcast. Tonight's episode is with Remy Adeleke. Remy is a dude who has lived quite the inspirational life, from his childhood in Nigerian royalty to losing everything and moving to the Bronx, ultimately becoming a Navy SEAL, and now an accomplished consultant, actor, and filmmaker in Hollywood. On this episode, we cover as much as we can in an hour's time, and towards the end, we dive into Remy's new short film. Which has since been picked up to make into a feature called The Unexpected. The Unexpected is about the darker, lesser known side of human trafficking and will premiere on September 30th on Remy's YouTube channel. A link will be provided in the episode's description. So without further ado, here is episode 21 with Remy (music) Adeleke. You start off by, um, you know, what was your childhood like growing up?
1: Yeah, so my, the early, my early years uh, were filled with uh, opulence. <laughs> you know, like to just sum it up in one word. You know, I was born into a very wealthy family. My dad was um, a well-known Nigerian engineer, philanthropist, businessman, entrepreneur. I mean, he did it all. I had car dealerships. Uh, engineering company um art gallery I mean this dude was like a he could create a business in his sleep and uh and so because of his success you know we had a lot of wealth so you know cars nannies drivers travel the world cooks lived on a compound um on this island this island in Nigeria called Lagos uh, Victoria Island to be exact and so that was my early years and then um how how
0: old no let's not fast forward how long were you uh, in Nigeria for
1: Uh, I was born in uh, in in 82 and and left upon the death of my father in 87 so five years total
0: and what happened with your father
1: so my dad he had engineered uh, uh, one of the first man-made islands in the world it was known as Banana Island Uh, but it was known as Lagoon Development Project and my dad had all of his wealth wrapped up in the Lagoon development project because, you know, he had this vision for Africa that it could be like, you know, America, it could be like, you know, the UK because that those are the places he was he was educated so he got to live and see how These countries were, um, but also because Nigeria is rich in resources—from cocoa to natural gas to oil. I mean, gold, you name it, Nigeria has it. And in his mind, he knew that if he can create a a sector, a financial sector, uh, uh, where a business sector, where. All of Africa and even Nigeria could come to work and operate and be more organized than Nigeria can be at the forefront uh, of uh, as it relates to Western nations. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was his vision. And, and, and the Lagoon Development Project was where he was going to bring forth his vision because that's where he was going to essentially build his business. At. It was supposed to be like the World Trade Center. As a matter of fact, it was also named the World Trade Center. It was supposed to be the World Trade Center Nigeria. And, um, Unfortunately, after he had dredged the foreshore to create this island, and after he had signed contracts with McDonald's, Marks and Spence, Disney, uh, other businesses and, 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 and construction companies, the, uh, the government, the Lego state government came in and said that you can't have this, uh, and they essentially stripped it from him. And my dad had all, again, as I said earlier, he had all of his wealth wrapped up in, in it because, you know, he figured once this takes off, then... I won't have to, my, my wife, my kids, my grandkids won't have to worry about money for the rest of their lives. So let me put, so he was all in, you know, he was literally all in. And uh, when the Nigerian government stripped him of that asset, you know, days essentially stripped him of everything. My dad died weeks later. And, uh, you know, my brother, my half brother who's old, he's about 12 years, no, no, he's about 16 years older than me he uh, was in law school at the time in the uk so he didn't have the means to, you know, and the wit to operate as a lawyer in nigeria so there was nobody left to to fight for my father's what was my father's and uh, and so my mother being American, she was just like, There's no way I'm gonna keep my kids here. I have nothing. She went from rich to poor. She was like, I'm gonna bring them back to what I know, and that's America. Because my mom, she's American, she was born and raised in America in New York City. She met my dad and at the Metropolitan Museum of Natural History, and then they got married five months later. And my mom was whisked off to Nigeria to this, you know, this fairy tale life <laughs> that eventually turned into a nightmare. So so that's how we ended up coming back, coming to the U.S. and my mom coming back to the U.S. permanently.
0: And how old were you when you came to the U.S.?
1: I was five at the time. So 19, that was 1987.
0: And you moved to New York City?
1: Yep, the Bronx. Yep, yep. Specifically the Bronx. Yeah, that was my uh, stomping ground. Um, that was where my mom was from. Uh, she had family. Uh, we still have a lot of family in, 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 in New York City, New Bronx and the surrounding boroughs. And so, uh, yeah, my mom was just like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to come back home.
0: And how was your life, uh, like being raised in the Bronx?
1: It was, you know, early on, my mom did a good job of masking the reality of what had happened to us. You know, she was very, she worked really hard, hard. She worked multiple jobs in order to provide for my brother and I from, Teaching to working at art galleries to you know writing papers for people whatever she could do to uh, ensure that, that we had a roof over I had our clothes on our back my mom did it and you know in doing that and keeping us occupied with school she was able to master the reality of what had happened um, it wasn't until I was eight years old that I began to kind of branch out and and, and really explore my environment and kind of look for fathers in the streets. And then, you know, in return, you know, become a boy of the streets, you know? And so I started out, you know, stealing from my mom and that progressed to stealing from local stores and that progressed to selling drugs and that progressed to running scams. And I mean, I was, you know, it was a hard life. It was a very hard life in part because, you know, and I made it hard. It was a hard life already because, you know, of the poverty that we lived in and and the environment that we live in, a crime. You know, I grew up around, crackheads and drug dealers. And, uh, you know, I remember going into the local stores and seeing the mafia guys going to collect taxes from the people in their their mafia suits. So it was a rough environment, you know, and so, but I made it hard on myself by indulging in that environment. And and, and so, and made it harder on my mother and harder on my brother. And I'm not proud of it at all. Um, um, And I'm grateful that I was able to make it out because of that. So many people don't make it out of that environment. So many people, you know, who make it harder for themselves end up dead or in prison. And that was the path. For me. That was ultimately the path for me. As a matter of fact, when you know, when I got to my late teens. And, and, and when I was doing the stuff that I was doing, there were guys and women going to federal prison for the stuff that I was doing. And I always evaded that. I was always smart about, you know, because I, I, I had my dad's mind. So even though, like, I was a fool, <laughs> I always had the, you know, wherewithal to realize it's time for you to kind of leave this building or it's time for you to walk away from this situation or it's time for you to stop doing what you're doing right now, you know? And, uh, but yeah, it was... It was a bad situation. For sure. How
0: how were you in uh, school and did you play any sports or was it mostly uh, like were you also in a gang or how, how was that?
1: Well, you know, as far as the, I despise gangs, I always saw being in a gang as the most coward thing you could do because it's like instead of relying on your own strength, you have to rely on other people to help you hurt somebody that's weaker than you. And I always hated the concept of that. Uh, so for me, I wasn't into the gang thing. I was into the hustle thing. Like if anything, you get, you, you, got the gangs, you got the thugs, and you got the hustlers. I, I fell into the category of I was a hustler. <laughs> You know, I wasn't, I wasn't into the games and I wasn't into, you know, uh, teaming up with other people to go beat up somebody. I wasn't with the thugs, which means I wasn't the type of guy that just wanted to be a hooligan and go punch people in the face for no reason. I just wanted to make money, (laughs) you know, (laughs) by all means necessary. And so, you know, to answer your question, you know, I wasn't into the gangs. As far as sports, you know, I grew up playing, you know, uh, football, but not really organized football, but just two-hand touch you know football in the in, in the on the concrete and and then you know uh, uh, you know playing basketball at the basketball court. Basketball was my first love. Um, I wanted to, my dream as a kid was to be in the NBA, and I would just I would just play so hard, man. I'd go to the basketball court and just train, train, train. And uh, when I got to high school, um, tried out for the junior varsity team, made the team, super super ecstatic, and then. I remember we were at at practice. This might have been our third or fourth practice. And somebody made a joke, uh, you know, at the practice. And everybody laughed. But while we were all laughing, the coach turned and he saw me laughing. And he pointed to me and he said, oh, you think that's funny? Because apparently he didn't like the joke, but I didn't know that. I'm a kid. I wasn't aware. And he said, oh, you think that's funny? I said, yeah, it was funny. We are all laughing. I didn't realize he was upset. He's like, all right, you kicked off the team. Is that still funny? I was like, what? He's like, get the hell out of here. You're not on the team anymore. And I didn't really understand it. I just remember just being so angry. I decided I'm never going to play basketball again. And I never played. I'm just going to focus on the streets and make money. And I never played, you know, organized basketball ever again. I want to say that was either my, my freshman or sophomore year of high school. And I just, you know, after years of playing basketball and just trying to attain this dream of wanting to play in college, and wanting basketball to be my way out of the hood, I just, I was angry and bitter and walked away from it. I just figured I'd make my money in in a different way.
0: And did you graduate from high school?
1: Yeah, I graduated from high school. Barely, but yeah, I graduated. (laughs) Yeah, I remember, uh, it's a funny story. So I, uh, I was never, I was never stupid. I just didn't apply myself. But when I would apply myself, I would do great. So because I was so focused on girls and making money, I would cut school a lot. But towards the end of every semester, that's when I would go full gear, full throttle. And I would like do extra assignments. I turned in my reports on time. I studied to pass my tests and just do all of these things. Because I dreaded the idea of having to go to summer school, which was like, That wasn't like in the Bronx to go to summer school. Like you were telling everybody you were an idiot. Like that was like a hit on your ego to have to go to summer school. Like for me, I was like, I don't want to have to go to summer school, right? I never want to go to summer school. So I would literally bust my butt like every single, at the end of every semester of high school, and I would get the 65, and so a 65, I think, is a C. Like, before in, in, in high school, when I was coming up, it was like, your 100 was, like, perfect. That's, like, A plus, and 90, uh, and 80 was, like, a, I want to say a B plus, and then, uh, and then, you know, you get 75, and then 65 is, like, a C minus. That means, like, you just passed. If you got a 55, that means you failed the class. And I would get 65s. And I would just be like, hey, I got my 65. I get 65s and 75s or sometimes 70s, but that's where I kind of rolled it. But if I would apply myself throughout the entire semester, I would be like 90s, you know, 95s, 100s throughout my report card, right, for each class. And so I tell this to say all this to make a point. In my senior year, I did that. I, I pretty much, you know, didn't apply myself and then like the last month and a half, two months is when I put it in the full gear. And my English teacher, I'll never forget his name, Mr. War, he recognized what I, I mean, he was just such a smart, intuitive guy. Cause he would see when I would, you know, come to class late or having not showed up to class for three days, show up, you know, so he was, he was aware of all that. And and so I did my thing, turned in my reports, did the extra credit for all my classes and I get my report card the day before high school graduation. And and the guidance counselors told us, you're going to get your report card on this day. And if you fail a class that you needed to pass in order to graduate, if you fail this credit, whatever credit, you, you're not going to graduate. And so I was confident. I was like, I don't care. I know I'm going to pass everything. I get my report card. And I remember it was the end of the day. And I saw that I passed everything except for English. And this was English class. And I was like, what the like what the hell? How did this guy fail me? Right? So I go to my guidance counselor. I'm like, dude, this guy, just should have failed me. What the hell is going on? And she was like, super calm. She was like, well, you got to go talk to Mister Wolf. I was like, why should I have to talk to me? She's like, dude, you're not graduating, tomorrow. You're not walking with your class. Like until unless you talk to Mister Wolf because he has to change your grade you're not graduating. So like I I. I found him in his office and I like literally went out. I was like, dude, why'd you fail me? He's like, you knew what I failed you. I was like, no, I didn't. No, I don't. You shouldn't have failed me. I passed like a ball. He's like, I tried every tactic. I tried being aggressive. I tried being calm. And I tried like, you know, I tried like, you know, bribing him. Like I literally tried everything in the book and nothing worked. He was stone cold. And then, uh, finally this, this so finally he said i had I must have annoyed him so much because finally he said all right you want me to change your grass like yeah i want you to change like he said i want you to write and it was something ridiculous like he was like i want you to write like a 50 60 i can't remember the number but a 50 60 page report as to why english is important to modern society and if you can have me that report on my desk I think it was like at 6.30 in the morning, to 7 in the morning, wherever, like his graduation was at like 12. If you get me that report on my desk by that time, I'll change your grade and I'll pass you. But I know you won't. And literally at the same time, like right as he's saying that, this other girl, uh, Shaquana, I never forget her name, <laughs> Shaquana, <I was> like, <laughs> <laughs> She says, she's screaming, why'd you fail me? I'm not she's crying. I'm not going to graduate. Right, so and so because he gave me that deal, he gave her the same deal. So I get home, my mom, I get to my apartment, and my mom, she had already been notified by the school because they had to let, you know, the parents know who's not graduating. And my mom's upset. She's like, I can't believe you're not graduating high school. All the classes you fail, how do you fail English? Because my mom was a, she was a writer, and, you know, she would make my brother and I read New York Times articles and write reports and if the reports weren't near perfect you know she would make us pick another article right again so I grew up I was writing since I was a little kid so my mom was like how the heck do you fail English and so uh I was like mom don't worry about it she's like shut up I don't want to hear that no nah, don't worry about it you ain't gonna you can't talk me out of this I already know you failed you're not graduating high school I can't believe this because my mom had gotten a dress my grandmother had bought a, bought a dress like everybody was just ecstatic you know and I said, Ma, I got to work out. She's like, you're not graduating high school. Don't like, I don't want to hear about, Ma, I got to do a report. Said, I don't want to hear about the report. You always come with a gimmick. You always come with some scam. You're not graduating high school. I was like, Ma, i worked out. So I procrastinated as I usually did. And I didn't start the report until like 9 o'clock, 8, 9 o'clock PM. And I, I started the report. And I finished that report at like, I want to say 5 AM. And it was good. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then uh, uh the next morning I got up, I got my my, my suit on, I got my cap and gown on, I told my mom to graduate, just be a graduation. I'm not gonna say, like, just get to graduation, just be there. But I gotta figure it out. Okay? so then she's like, all right, all right, I'll leave, but you better not make a fool of me. I was like, just you and grandma just get to graduation. You'll see me. So uh uh I get to the I get to the back to the school and I get with my uh with Mr. Wolf. And uh get in his office and hand him the papers and cheese oh, and like hey, yeah, you didn't think I was going and the other girl that Shapana never showed up, by the way. And so uh so he looks at the paper, he looks at the page, he's reading this thing, like reading it, skims some pages, like skims a few pages, reads like in detail, skims a few pages, reads the detail, and then he looks up at me, he's like, Why didn't you just do this all semester? He's like, I hope this teaches you a lesson, like. And he was like, "But good on you for like getting it done." He passed me, he changed my grade to sixty five, and I graduated high school. <laughs> That's how I graduated high school. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the skin of my teeth, man. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't have to go to summer school for Shaquani. She, to to she had to go to summer school. <laughs> yeah. And
0: uh, what you what you do after high school?
1: So after high school, man, I just I was in the streets heavy, man. I was selling drugs. You know, you know, I had all my free time. I was like running this massive illegal scam where I was bringing in tons of money every week. I, I was using the money to fund a, a record company. So I was laundering the money that I made illegally through a record company. Um, I had like a bunch of artists that I had, had kind of signed. You know, I say that in air quotes because it wasn't the official signing. Put together, as a matter of fact, I got to keep the evidence on my desk, dude.
0: That's see, that, awesome.
1: <laughs> that's me right there. That's me right there. Wow! All the rappers, and and this is another guy I started the record company with, and uh, and and this guy right here is another guy I started the record company. With. But okay. for those who can't see, who's listening to this on audio, I'm pulling up. Uh, this is the first album I made with all the legal money. We got all the songs on there and everything. Right? So. Uh, <laughs> So that's what I did, man. I hustled to, to because I figured, okay, I'm not going to be an athlete. I'm going to be a music and, uh And I paid for tour money. I mean, I, you know, I I was able to, I was able to, artists were able to go on these small little tours. We were able to go record down in Virginia. And it was all funded with the money that I was making legally. And that all kind of came to a head when I was about, when I was, I had turned 19. This was actually, this was, uh, this was a, uh, this was December 2001, so a few months after 9-11. It's even December, November. And uh, I got involved in a deal with a drug dealer went bad. I sold him some products that were supposed to last for a certain amount of time. only last for a fraction of that time. And uh, he came knocking on my door. And uh, my mom's apartment door, to be exact. And he essentially threatened my life. And, uh, you know, and my mom's life. And, you know... Told me if you don't make me my money by this time tomorrow, you know, things ain't gonna go too well for that. He had a reputation, he was a killer, he was a big drug dealer. So I knew what that meant, I knew he was gonna kill me and so, and potentially kill my mom. I had a good chunk of the money because of what I was doing. I just had to make a few more hundred, a few hundred, hundred more bucks. Went out on the streets the next day, made the money, paid him his money back. And that's when I was like, I'm out of this life, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm like, I'm done. And uh I was hoping that my record company would take off because you know I still had the CDs, still one of the CDs, you know, so we we had meetings at Def Jam Records and I had meetings with big, you know, ARs and stuff like that. And so I was just hoping that, you know, before all the money ran out, that you know, I would be able to land a, a deal, a label deal for my record company, and it didn't happen. And then fast forward, this was January and then fast forward to uh uh, to June of 2002, I was just in my bed and I just felt this presence. I felt this voice telling me, you need to join the military. It's that simple. And uh, I know it wasn't my voice and my idea because I hated the military. I hated the government. I associate, I hated the police and I associated anybody in the uniform as the police. And I didn't want to join the government. But as I looked around my room and looked and thought about the last, you know, 15 years of my life after leaving Africa and what I had become, and how my life had amounted to nothing. I was just like, what else do I have? Like, what do I have? And so long story short, I uh, walked down the street I grew up on Fordham Road and uh, went to the uh, Marine Corps recruiter's office first. Nobody was in there. Um, stayed there for about 15 minutes left, walked into the Navy recruiter's office. It was a beautiful Navy recruiter in there named Tiana Reyes. Um, she had me do a practice ASVAB test, I passed that, and then she ran my background. After running my background, she found out I had two warrants out for my arrest. I had a warrant in New Jersey, and I had a warrant in New York. Got up, got ready to run out of there. She said, where are you going? I said, I'm getting out of here, and I tried to go to jail today. She said, there's nothing out there for you in the streets. If you leave, you're going to end up dead in prison. I was like, well, what do you want me to do here? She said, come back tomorrow in a suit. I said, I don't have a suit. She said, do you have a nice, some nice pants? I So sure I'm sure I can dig something. She's like, come back tomorrow with that on. So I did, and uh, she took me to both judges, the judge in New York, the judge in New Jersey, advocate on my behalf, pretty much told me, hey, this kid's trying to join the military after active act of war, 9-11, just had not happened nine months earlier. Um, can you uh, can you clear uh, his record, expunge his record so he can join the Navy? And both judges expunged my record, and then she, she fudged the paperwork, because even with my record expunged, she still had to go a step further to fudge the paperwork, me into Navy. That's how I got into Navy. And she sounds was,
0: like an incredible ro- woman, you know? Oh, like how awesome. how many uh recruiters will do that? I don't know.
1: Not a lot. Not a lot. And the sad thing is she died two years later. Wow. Of, of an autoimmune disease. Yeah. I didn't find that out until uh until I was writing my book. You know, I was writing my book and I you know I uh, uh pretty much you know it's like man I need to get a hold of Tiana so she could see how what she did changed my life and uh and I tried to get a hold. I found a, a memorial page for her. Wow. And like, she died. Yeah, but I'm close with her family. Close with her brother. Actually, just with her brother. I, you know, the film that we're going to talk about later, I premiered it at, at a film festival uh, two, about two weeks ago, and her brother came to the premiere. I'm close with her daughter. So you know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm kind of close to her, but in a different way through her family. Close to her.
0: Wow, that's incredible. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Crazy stuff.
0: So you joined yeah. the Navy after she basically like uh, helped yeah. mo- helped uh, get you to the Navy? Or get yeah. you to boot camp?
1: Yeah, joined the Navy and then uh, got to boot camp. You know, a SEAL came, put on a video as to what SEALs do. And, uh, you know, I already kind of, back in my earlier years, I always said if I would turn my life around, if I could turn my life around, being a SEAL is what I would do. But that was like a far-fetched idea because I I was inspired. I was educated on the SEAL teams through the Rock, uh, that film, and so when I got to that boot camp and that SEAL point on that presentation, I was just like, "Man, man, I want to do that, bro!" But (laughs) I was totally unqualified. You know, didn't have the academic scores. Super skinny, barely do ten push-ups. Couldn't swim. Uh, I mean, you name it. I was unqualified in every box that needed to be checked in order to be a SEAL. And so I had to watch as all of the guys in my boot camp division who wanted to go to BUDS, I had to watch as all of them got to go scream. And I just went back to the, my barracks. And uh, I decided, you know, I'm going to figure it out. So when I got to my first command, Naval Hospital Camp and that's when I put the pedal to the metal. And uh, I didn't have a car, so I would run three miles to the pool, uphill to uh, the, the pool and jump in the shallow and try to figure it out. And then run three miles back up to barracks um you know finally I got humbled myself and I would I, I remember one day asking the lifeguard if he could talk me through how to swim lifeguard said, I can't I can't teach you how to swim but I could talk you through it from up here and he started talking me through swimming and as I gradually got better and then you know I would just I mean whether it was freezing cold raining whatever the situation was I would run that three miles in that pool and uh I created a workout routine. I got a Bud's two, three, four video and sort of workouts that the guys did. And I tried to create workouts that match that. And, uh, and then I got an ASVAT for Dummy's book. And I studied that book. And then I I uh, had a really good LPO at my first command. So I asked her if she could change my schedule. And she did. So I worked four hours in the morning from like eight to 12, I want to say. And then I had four hours off from like, you know, uh, from, from 12 to four, and then in that four hours was where I trained and you know studied my at book and did things I needed to do and then came back and I worked the night clinic until you know seven eight o'clock and I did that you know and, and uh you know within six months of checking into my command I had, you know I was checked out you know sorry within a year of checking into my command I was checking out so I checked in in January 2003 and I checked out the BUDS, totally qualified academically swimming, Swim-wise, from the physicality standpoint, it was it's a strength, cardio, conditioning, running, all that stuff, everything qualified. You know, went from having zero chance of getting in the SEAL training to, like, being totally qualified for SEAL training.
0: And, That's amazing, uh, especially not knowing how to swim. And yeah. then, so what was that, like, a big obstacle for you where you're looking at, like, the SEALs are, like, notorious, like, the, like, buds in the training, right? Yeah. And not knowing uh how to swim but you're why yeah. you, why do you think you were so committed like why did, do you want to become a seal so bad
1: I think it goes back to you know what I said as it relate you know the story about the paper having to do the paper it's like I've always been the type of person that when I set my mind on something like, no matter how crazy it may sound I'm going to figure out a way to do it you know, like like that's just and I think a lot of it comes from my mother because my mother, you know, you got to remember, she went from being extremely rich to extremely poor. And but, you know, she always had a way of figuring out what to do, how to provide. And she modeled perseverance from she modeled how to operate when life is hard for a long period of time. And I think by me, just through osmosis. Being exposed to the way my mom lived this Spartan life, it just became a part of my nature. So when I saw a mountain, even now to this day, when I see a mountain, it's just like I can do. I can. I can, yeah, climb. I can climb it. Like <laughs> I know, and everybody's like, "No, nah, there's no way." Like, there's no way. And I know we're getting when we talk about the film because I was in, in a, listening to an interview today from the producers of my short film, and and you know they brought that up. It was like we didn't know how we gonna but Ren was just like, no, we need to do this. No, to. And that's just, a, it's just, I don't know. I think that that's a gift that God has given me, man, to, to to just be able to, and I think it also comes from my dad's mind as an engineer, like where he's like, that engineer mind's mind is like, okay, like here's how you got to figure it out. And yeah, that's hard, but here's the equation and work through this equation, this happens. And for me, it's just like one plus one equals two. If you do the hard work, especially in America. You know, if you do the hard work, like, you'll succeed. Like, it's just, it's just like, people make it so complicated and people come up with all kinds of excuses, but I, I just think it's that simple. That if you do the work and you're consistent and you have a good attitude and you, you don't beat yourself up when you fail and you learn from your failures, you can accomplish absolutely anything and i think that's that that was something that was pressed upon me from a mom and that's just was a part of my nature and will be a part of my nature until the day i die
0: no i agree with you too i uh i, I uh, my parents are like the same way uh well the same way as how they uh, raised me you know i uh hard work be consistent you know be a nice person treat people you want to be treated right um if you work your ass off, good things gonna happen for you. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, going back, you uh, you go to buds. What buds class were you in?
1: I started out with two five zero. And So, two, five, zero. so that was uh, that was a, that was an awesome class because there were some legends in that class. Mikey Monsoor, he was in my boat crew. Um, uh, Workman, he was on extortion seventeen. He was in my boat crew. Um, man just it was just a lot of great dudes <laughs> you know in that class you know ryan jove after hell week he rolled into the class i think he got the silver star and then like i, I almost died in that hell week <laughs> so i got menrolled. and then uh it was a 251 with Mark lee which oh, is wow. Silver Star wow how'd, so, how'd you
0: almost how did you almost die in hell week
1: so i started hell week with sight Swimming dudes points i mean I, the way I almost died in Hell Week is the way that the guys, the, uh, the the I think it was one or two guys recently died in Hell Week two weeks ago. Yeah, well, a week ago. Uh, I uh, it was my fault. You know, I uh, had the first three weeks of buzz is just especially I was in a winter Hell Week, so that's something that a lot of people don't talk about. I was in a winter first phase. A lot of people don't talk about that. Don't really understand the difference between the winter. So, winter. I don't care what anybody says. Winter. Buds is hell, bro. It's the worst because of the cold. It's like, <laughs> it's like it's it's bad, bro. And so I was in. I started first phase in January. You know, and talk about cold, man. I mean, I had no body fat. So by the time I got to got to hell week, dude, I, I started. You know, I remember we were doing our med checks, and I was a corpsman, so I was a medic. So I kind of knew what was going on internally. And when we you were know, in our med checks, you know, before I started, them, I was spitting up blood, and not just blood, but it was like jello. I was like, ah, oh, damn, I got pneumonia. I got sight, you know, which is pretty much the same thing This woman just pulmonary edema. And uh, I was like, but damn, if I, uh, if I tell the medics, if I tell a doctor, they're going to make me start dating of the first phase all over again. And I'm not trying to start day one first phase all over right i just went through three weeks of that hell i don't want to do that again and so i was like i'm gonna just push through and long story short i got to tuesday of hell week and my body just freaking shut down i mean i was spitting up blood my core temperature had dropped to 88.8 at one point i mean i was just a mess i just hit the deck rushed to the icu rushed to the hospital ended up in the icu and uh yeah it was Almost died. I was in a bad way. And then uh, and then, when I finally got released from the hospital, went back to the barracks and uh, instructors came in my room, two instructors, Master Chief Hoffman, I'll never forget, and uh, Senior Chief Fortin, who later became my, my task unit, my task unit, platoon chief. And uh, he was like, we like, dude, we're so glad you didn't quit. Cause we didn't, they didn't know. It. They thought I was faking and sick. It was like, we're so glad. And, and and that's just like, that's what we look for to see. We look for a dude just gonna go until he's dead. And still he's like, good on you. And then you 4 was like, yeah, good on. You, but you're gonna have to start all over again, day one. <laughs> so, I was like, so yeah, man, I started day one all over again with two finals. Oh, wow, wow. <laughs> Oh, uh, it was horrible. I
0: thought that they would like roll you after Hell Week and then you can nah, just class that's over 251. But
1: that's what I was hoping for, but so I had did... to pay the man. to pay the man.
0: So you did two Hell Weeks,
1: two Hell Weeks, bro. No, three Hell Weeks. I did three, so I made it through Hell Week, made it through Hell Week, and then uh, it's way more to the story. After I made it through Hell Week, I got performance roll, um, uh, for swims, double roll, two classes. Got to die phase, super cocky, arrogant. Made, now at this point, I made it through hell week. And made it in the steel train, and made it through hell week. Got to die phase, can't tell me nothing. Nobody can tell me. I was super proud, very arrogant. And I just, I didn't work on what I needed to work on. Instead, so I was partying on the weekend at clubs, chasing tail, doing all that stuff. And then uh, ended up getting the die phase, and I failed with evolution during die uh, dive phase. And I get kicked out of butts. And uh, that was humbling. And that was the first time in my adult life I took responsibility. And I got sent back to Camp Pendleton. I was uh, 1st Marine Division, which was even more humbling because that's the grunts. Grunts. That's the front-line grunts. That's a hard life. bro. That's a hard life. Were you like a
0: FMF? What is it called? Like a FMF Corbin?
1: Yep. I was with Battalion 1-4. I was in the scout sniper platoon for a little bit that I went to the uh, 81-millimeter mortar platoon, and it was, man, it was, that's a hard that's a hard life, man, right there. I got mad respect for Marines and grunts, because especially, that, you gotta remember, this is 2005, and you know what was going on in Iraq, in Afghanistan, man, I mean, the Marines were coming back, man, they were, I mean, you and they were corpsmen who I was in buds with in 250, who, you know, quit in two five zero and then went to first marine division and got killed. You know, got you know, uh, one guy uh, I'll never forget, you know, he uh we were in buds together and then quit buds went to went to first marine division where I was and uh, deployed was on the ID you know in a Humvee Humvee got hit by ID Killed everybody inside. I mean, obliterated everybody inside. I mean, he was at the very back. And it was one of those hatchback Humvees. So he was at the very back. The explosion blew him out of the Humvee. That's the only reason why he lived. But I mean, he was permanently damaged. I mean, permanent brain damage, never the same. I mean, you know, just and yeah, man. That was that was that was crazy, bro. That time was crazy. But Thank God, man, I uh, got through 1st Marine Division, my my uh, my LPO got back, after we got back from deployment, my LPO became the command career counselor. So he went from being in charge of the of, of, of like 12 corpsmen to being in charge of like 700 corpsmen. And he knew my work ethic, he knew I wanted to be a SEAL. And the policy at that time was you had to do two deployments at a minimum, and get your FMF pin or do three years minimum and get your FMF pin. And so I was only there for like a year and change, you know, a year and two months. And uh, he went to bat for me. He went to the command master chief. and was like, hey, I just worked with this guy, you know, time he went four. He's a good dude, he wants to go to bunts. He made it to do hell week the first time, you know, got dropped a die phase, you know, can we let him leave early? And the command master chief was like, all right, I'll let him leave early. but." If he quits and doesn't make it, he needs he needs to come back here and do two deployments for uh, three years. Uh, and he needs to sign a page 13 saying he'll do that. And it made me sound I was like, again, I'm, I'm always betting on myself. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Just like dude was like, you got to write a thousand pages. All right. <laughs> yeah. boy was like, well, write well, uh, 50 pages. All right. Yeah, I bet on myself. And I signed that page 13 knowing that, hey, there's no turning back. Went back to bunch and made it through. You know, made it through and uh, what yeah, bunch man, of class was uh, that? 266. Six, I started 266, six, yeah. Okay, and uh, yeah, man, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that on myself, brother.
0: So, you uh, get kicking nuts. I had to start
1: day one all over again. First phase, how we
0: any problems yeah. in second phase?
1: No, nope. Made the second phase, got the third phase. I mean. It's just, you know, I learned from my mistakes. Like I said, failure is only a failure if you don't learn from it. If you learn from it, it's a lesson. And I humbled myself and, uh, you know, went back and got through and You know, became a man. And,
0: and then after some uh, more training, what SEAL team did you go to?
1: I ended up on, uh, on three um, on the West Coast. So, how was is,
0: how is your career? Like, how many years did you do? at at?
1: I did a total of uh eight, eight years in the team, about seven and a half eight years in the teams. And uh it was great, man. Got to do some great deployments, man. Um, you know, got to kick down some doors. I was a human guy, so I got to kind of live best of both worlds, you know, collecting intelligence and building and writing intelligence reports and then taking that and action, you know, me and my team actioning those reports and kicking down doors. And yeah, man, it was. It was great, man. I I was blessed. I would just say that I was blessed with a with a great career, and uh, yeah, man, I enjoyed it, man. I enjoyed How it. How
0: many uh, deployments did you end up doing? Three. And did you where'd you go on those deployments?
1: All to the Middle East. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, is there anything that you want to talk about from your deployments that uh that you want to yeah. go into or?
1: Uh, I mean. I, shared a bunch of stories already a million times but yeah just just deployed typical stuff kicked down doors got bad guys worked with the greatest dudes on the face of the planet you know what I mean got to do an augment you know what I mean um and uh yeah it was great (laughs) it was a good time
0: no it's all good and uh do you have like a most rewarding experience I mean from your navy career
1: uh what's rewarding experience. I would just say serving in the teams, being able to like go through a workup, get kicked in the nuts, and then go down and do the job. I'll say my first op was like probably like where everything paid off where I, where I felt like everything that I had worked for, like, getting the boot camp, you know, not being able to try out for buds, getting to my first command, putting in all the work, going to buds, getting kicked out, coming back to buds, making it through and then like going through a workup and then getting you know, them. I remember my first uh, um we were doing a DA and because I was a new guy, I I uh, was in a I was in the, I was a gunner. So I was in the uh, Humvee in the gunner gunner seat. And I just I just remember like I was pissed at one because I wasn't gonna be able to be on the on the assault force but I was a new guy. You know what I mean? And and then part of it too was it was a turnover op because team, we were relieved the team one and uh so the majority of the good chunk of team one was on the op. And then you know, part of team three was on the op. And uh and so I was in the Humbi, but I just remember like being on comms and you know guys dismounted, hit the target, and they pulled off ID, ID, making material, a bunch of ID, a bunch of explosive stuff, like stuff that was going to be used to do bad stuff. And I remember hearing that over to I was like, damn, man, this is what it's about. man. You know, I was like, man, I was like, you know what, dude, like, I know I'm sitting here doing Overwatch, you know, and with this 50 cal, and, you know, but this is what, like, I'm part of this. I'm part of, like, having... Taking a bad guy off the streets, you know, and, and taking this bomb making material that could have killed people, you know, confiscating, it, you know, taking, taking in, doing away with a bad guy, you know what I mean? And now it's just to be able to be like, even though I wasn't in the train, that was the most rewarding and I got to do tons of DAs after that on that particular operation where I was in the train and you know, especially because I was running sources and all that stuff. So I remember having to bring the sources on ops and so you know and stuff like that. But to me, that was the most rewarding of my naval career was that very first op. You know, outside the wire, hot spot, crazy area, you know what I mean? And just knowing I could die, like. And I just remember like being here, like, man, I can get sniped. Right. It's a night because we do it all night. I was like, I can get sniped. Dude could just pop off from the roof and like smoke right now. I don't care. I've i made it. That to me was when I was like, I made it. You know. I no, that I was like, if I don't do anything else in my career, I made it. And I got to do a lot of other cool stuff in my career, man. You know? You know, stuff that I can't talk about. You know what I mean? Um, um, I'll never be able to talk about. But Cool stuff, man. So yeah.
0: That's awesome. And how was your or what year did you think about like transitioning from the military? And then how was that for you?
1: Yeah, 2015. So 2015, I was just like my first son was born in 2014. My second son was born in 2015. My contract was up like January 8th of 2016. And I was on, like, shore duty, and it was one of those things where, all right, it's time to go back to, you know, operational, mobilize, do all that stuff, work up, all that. And I was like, man, like, I had a great career. My dad died when I was five. I want to be home with my boys. And uh, that, was, that was when I was just like, you know what, it's time to hang out. And uh, that's when I got out and I made the decision to get out, got out and done January, 2016. And then the rest is history.
0: (laughs) And did you do anything? Did you do anything before, um, like getting into like a creative type field?
1: No, you know, well, the plan wasn't necessarily for me to get into creative side of things. I was, um, I was in grad school. I had finished my bachelor's, I want to say, 2013. And then I jumped straight into a master's program. And so my my plan was to go into business consulting. That's why I was getting my master's degree in organizational strategy. And then, like, uh, fast forward to May of 2016, I got hit up by a woman who worked for Michael Bay. And she was like, hey, Michael Bay's looking for, you know, former SEALs to work on this next project, Transformers. And would you be would, are you available and i was just writing papers for schools so i was just like yeah i can make it happen and so i uh you know the next day i was on set with michael bay and josh Dumel and Megatron. how was that <laughs> that was it was cool man it was cool because it was like nothing, totally unexpected and um that it was just supposed to be one day one day turning three weeks two weeks turning into uh you know six months and i was on that sheet from may to December. We wrapped in December. We actually shot our last, last scenes I shot were shot on a Naval Air Station uh, based on North Island. And uh, and that was, that was awesome. And, uh, and that's when I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be a storyteller. Well,
0: For that movie, was it, were you doing like military advising or you kind and of like, like an, an combination, actor?
1: combination. So I was acting, but then some military advisors, so it was a combination of both. And, uh, you know, and that project, working on a project like that opens up other doors. So I was able to on other projects from commercials to TV shows to other films. Work with Michael Bay again on Six Underground. And at the same time, I started, that's when I started working. Before I worked on Six Underground, I was volunteering with a few different human trafficking organizations. And then uh, and uh, uh, and then I worked with Michael Bay on Six Underground, consulted on that. And I worked on another TV show. Apple TV called Invasion and then like it was around that time when I started getting more into writing and I was just like and I taught myself how to write screenplays and then I was and then you know um and then that kind of morphed over time and I was just like hey I want to be a director and there's a lot more to the story I'm skipping over a lot of for the sake of time but um
0: but you also have a book. So, do you, if somebody wants to read these, read yeah, all yeah. the into these details, where can, oh, yeah. they, where yeah, can they, they do that?
1: Yeah, Transform is my book. You can get that anywhere, uh, wherever books are sold, Amazon, book, Barnes Noble's, wherever. But what's, yeah, like the what's the I name of your lots book? Lots of uh, the name of my book is Transform. Transform
0: okay.
1: Navy SEAL's unlikely journey from the throne of Africa to the streets of the box of the five all odds. And so, uh, so, yeah, and you know, After I had finished working on Six Underground and another project, that's when I was like, you know, because I went down to South America, not South America, but Dominican Republic with a human trafficking organization. And I saw some horrific things. And I was just like, you know, I need to merge my gifts as a filmmaker because I could save, I could help one person that's a traffic victim, but there's going to be a thousand more that needs to be helped. I can have a bigger impact by telling a story, by using my skills as a as a seal and as a storyteller to tell a story that can, in return, galvanize the masses to get into this fight against human trafficking. So that's when I that's when I I, I essentially wrote this treatment for a TV series called The Unexpected, and uh, didn't get picked up because everybody was like, "It's too dark. Nobody wants to hear about human trafficking." And this is during COVID. So then a year later, I was like, screw it. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to make this movie. I put up the majority of the money. And uh, that's when I decided to make this movie uh, on human trafficking, um, a movie called The Unexpected. And uh, that's the film that uh, I'm, I'm sure I should, I'm not sure if you got a chance to check out. I, that,
0: but, I did say, I saw it as soon as you sent it to me. I was like, I got to yeah. check this out. It's great, yeah. man. It's great.
1: Thank you. Thank you. But yeah, the whole, the whole, idea behind that was to um, expose the darkness with light, with story, and, uh, and you know, and, uh, and at the end of the day, that's what my whole life has been about, was to, you know, expose the darkness in my life, um, to persevere through the darkness, and to help others, and so that's what this film is about, is about educating and, uh, the masses and exposing the darkness.
0: It definitely is educational, because I have my, like, I kind of, like, uh I try to stay informed, and I try yeah. to, like, I thought only certain things about human trafficking, and then after watching your film, I uh realized it's a lot, one, it's a lot more internationally, like, connected, and um, I don't want to, like, I'm horrible at, like, explaining movies, because I don't want to give away the spoilers, so... Yeah, I- yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, dude, I thought it was just really informative and I thought it was well put well put together. And yeah. uh, if anybody's listening to this, which I know they will be, uh, definitely check it out, The Unexpected. When yeah. is that uh, premiering?
1: That's when to premiere September 30th on my YouTube channel, Remy Adelike. And uh, we got some other big plans for it on a bigger scale, the feature version coming soon.
0: And if people want to find you, where can they find you at?
1: They can find me at uh, Remy Adelake, R-E-M-I-A-D-E-L-E-K-E on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, all the same. I got a unique name, so it's easy to get the handles.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, awesome, Remy. Thanks for taking the time to uh,
1: come on the podcast. It's been a blast. No, thank you. I appreciate you. And thank you for your time, brother.